Thank you for downloading the Bristol Lectures podcast, brought to you by the University of the West of England. In this podcast, we are joined by Catherine Bennett, CBE, Senior Vice President of Airbus and Chair of Western Gateway. Well, good evening, everybody. Those of you that have not met me, I'm Steve West, I'm the Vice Chancellor of the University, and delighted to welcome you here this evening. And a very special welcome, of course, to our distinguished guest speaker, Catherine Bennett, who um, will be introduced formally. Uh, in a minute, but Catherine um, has a tremendous impact across not just Airbus, but actually increasingly across our city region, and I'm delighted that she's here, and is the second in our series for 2020 of Distinguished Addresses. The format of these, um, just so we do the housekeeping bit, that's the job I get to do, Um, we're not expecting any fire alarms. If there is a fire alarm and evacuation for a reason, there will be a very clear instruction and the exit points, there's two at the side and one at the back. Uh, The muster point is in the car park that you um, uh, were uh, coming in from Uh, or if that is blocked for whatever reason then it will be at the opposite end of the building. I will be the last one to leave this space uh, so I can guarantee I'm the last one out um, and we will ensure that people are helping you if you're not sure where to go, we'll make sure that you get out of the building. It is our intention to um, podcast um, this uh, and we'll uh, make sure that uh, that is out in the next few days normally uh, and we'll give you the the, um, links. We're also um, this evening going to be introducing um, an opportunity for you to ask questions and answers. Um, What we'll probably do is take them in in uh, groups of three, batches of three, um, and that is designed to encourage you to keep your questions crisp and sharp. I don't really need your life story, but I do need the question. But I will encourage you to tell us where you've come from, uh, so uh, a little bit about uh, the company or the organisation. The other thing to say uh, is that after uh, after the presentation from Catherine, there'll be an opportunity for us to have some light refreshments and I'll encourage you again to uh, stay and further conversations over a glass of wine and some few nibbles. Um, So without further ado, uh, I think all I need to do is to also encourage you, if you have a mobile phone, can you put your mobile phone on silent? But don't turn it off because I'd quite like you to, to tweet. So get involved, get engaged. Tweet um, using, uh, which one is it? Hashtag? Brilliant speech. <laughs> brilliant speech. <laughs> brilliant speech. <laughs> Catherine is saying, yeah, yeah. You only have to hashtag brilliant speech. <laughs> so Bristol lectures, hashtag Bristol uh, lectures. Um, and um, Catherine is expecting a huge following of a brilliant speech. So thank you, Catherine. Um, right, I'm going to move us on. Um, it's a delight to be able to welcome... Uh, Callum Jenkins, who is currently on the university campus developing uh, his uh, company, which he'll tell you about. He whispered drones to me, so it's going to be really exciting. Um, Callum went to Warwick University, where he studied mechanical engineering. Um, He has then developed and come to a proper university, the University of England, (laughs) um, uh, and is in one of our incubators, uh, 
developing his idea, being supported. But Callum will tell the story. So without further ado, can I introduce Callum uh, Jenkins to you all, who will give a short five-minute presentation. Thank you, Callum. Thank you for the introduction, Steve. Um, hi, everyone. My name's, as mentioned, my name's Callum. I'm the founder of Esno Media, which is a commercial drone services company. Now, tonight I'm going to talk to you about how I came to set up my business, what I've been doing with it over the past year, and where I intend to go with it in the future. So obviously this talk is primarily going to be based around drones, and we're going to have Catherine talking in a minute about planes. And I think this might be one of the few instances where we get drones and planes talked about in a good sense. Um, so without further ado, I'll get straight into it. Is that one working? Quite a lot to click through, so it might be better if it works. That's all right. Cheers. Brilliant. Thank you. That's all right. Brilliant. Okay, so I went to uh, Warwick University, as Steve mentioned, where I studied mechanical engineering. Um, I finished there in 2017 and got a chance to apply some of that knowledge at Rolls Royce. Um, now, I've always wanted to work for myself, I've always wanted to have my own company, that's what's really appealed to me. And as any good student would do, I decided to go and do a bit of traveling to sort of figure out what that might look like. Now, around this time, I was really interested in travel videos, watching all these people do these different things, and I thought to myself, it really appealed to me to potentially have a go at doing some of this myself. Um, so I decided to buy a camera, buy a drone, film everything that I was doing, you know, walk around talking to a camera, and I essentially uploaded all of that to YouTube. Now, it was around this time after doing it for a while, I got really quite good at it, I really quite enjoyed doing it. A lot of it was done on a drone, and I thought there was a potential to offer this as a commercial service, um, and that's what led me to set up Esno Media as a commercial drone videography company. Now, around this time as well, I was also going to lots of different industrial events, expos, conferences, that kind of thing, around the drone industry. Um, and Lower? Oh, sorry. Can you, can you all hear me at the back? Is that all right? Brilliant. Cool. So I was going to all these different expos, and that's what sort of really opened my eyes to the whole industrial side of drone applications. So not only are they used for things like photography and video, they're actually used for things like mapping, surveying, inspection, and even things like deliveries. And it was always kind of running in the back of my mind that potentially I might be able to explore that side of things, having done engineering and combine that, and that could potentially be the future of my company. So last year I started gaining some traction with my business, working for various different clients. Some of it is in the automotive sector and other ones as well, um, doing filming for their social media and their marketing purposes. And then towards the end of last year and this year, I started working at the Launch Space, which, as Steve mentioned, is a business incubator located just across the road here at UWE. And I got some really fantastic help there, and that sort of helped me develop the next steps of my business and moving into the more industrial side of things. And also, I know there's some students here today, so if any of you guys are thinking of potentially working for yourself or you want to find out a little bit more about it, I'd really recommend just going over there and taking a look at it. So I see my company progressing more from a videography side of things into like a spectrum of aerial services. And what I'm focusing on at the moment is it becoming an aerial data acquisition company. So the area that I'm focusing on with that at the moment is in the mapping side of things, and drones can be used in two different senses for that, using photogrammetry and LiDAR. So when you take a load of pictures of a site, like a field like this, for example, you can combine all of those photos and process them and put them into something like this, which is an orthomosaic map. So it's essentially like an updated version of Google Maps, a bit like that. You can take measurements and areas and things like that from it. You can extrapolate some of that data if it's plants you're looking at, and get something like this, like the plant health. So if you work in agriculture, this can be really useful for monitoring the health of your crops and understanding where you have pests and diseases and things like that. You can go one step further and get something like this, a topographical map. So if you're in surveying, for example, this is a really fast and effective way to survey your site and get an elevation profile of what you're looking at. And then this is a bit that I thought was really quite amazing. You can even go one step further, and this is a house just up the road from that field. Process all of those images and put them into something that looks like this. 
as a 3D model, which just comes from the photos that you've taken, which I thought was, was quite amazing, really. So that's what I'm looking at in the short-term future for my company. And in the longer-term side of things, we need to sort of take a step back and look at the problem I'm interested in on a grander scale, and that's climate change. Now, that's obviously a really serious issue with our world at the moment. Is there's general widespread agreement that this is the case. Something really does need to be done about it. And I think a big part of doing something about that is going to be measuring and monitoring the various different causes and effects of climate change. And when I was younger, I was really interested in having a company that actually did something good for the planet. Um, so that's why I'm interested in this side of things. In combination with that, we're also in the fourth industrial revolution at the moment. So there's various different forms of technology that are on the rise. And someone once told me that it's where various different forms or areas overlap, but there's, where there's potential for innovation nowadays. And I think that's really true. I think there's a real uh, commercial opportunity to combine drones with some of these forms of technology to measure and monitor some of the causes and effects of climate change from which we can base better decisions and hopefully you know, improve the situation. In addition to that, I've had some funding from Santander to pursue this concept as a result of being at LaunchSpace. And I'm also in the process now of getting some interns on board to start developing that solution and start developing the software and that service. So in a nutshell, that's what I've been doing. That's why I'm going with it in the future. Thank you all very much for listening. If you have any questions or want to come and speak to me about it afterwards, please come and do so. I'd very much look forward to speaking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Callum. And I'm pleased to say that those top ten technologies are all here in the university, so we ticked every box. So look forward to working with you. Um, I'm now going to... Um, uh, that's just an advert for us, really. I'm going to invite uh, Simon Quinn from um, a partner of these executive addresses, really, Moon Consulting, and they've been working with us to identify fantastic people. So, Simon, please uh, uh, introduce to us Catherine. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Steve, and uh, welcome, everybody. Um, Callum, well done. I've just got to say that, that was great. And no disrespect to you, Catherine, but I could have listened to that all night long. <laughs> um, so um, we're in for a real treat this evening. Um, our speaker, Catherine Bennett, is a senior vice president of Airbus and leads the company's external engagement strategy in the UK um, with specific responsibility for public affairs um, for all parts of Airbus. Um, I had a tour of Airbus last year, and I think it's fantastic we've got a global business like that on our doorstep here in Bristol. So um, it, it's certainly very eye-opening. I'm looking forward to this very much. Um, previously, Catherine uh, held roles in communications and spent several years in um, Airbus HQ in Toulouse in France, running the global affairs uh, uh, function there. And prior to Airbus, Catherine's also headed up the government affairs function uh, at General Motors UK. Um, so here we go, some board appointments now. There are quite a few. I'm going to run through them one by one as quickly as I can, but it is pretty impressive. Um, Catherine served on various boards, public and private enterprises, focused on economic development in the UK regions. Uh, that includes the West of England uh, Local Enterprise Partnership and is Vice President Aerospace on the Council of the UK Aerospace Trade Association. She serves on the board of the Aerospace Growth Partnership, that's part of the UK's industrial strategy, the board of the French Chamber of Great Britain, and the Wales Government Science and Innovation Council. In July 2018, she founded and co-chaired the UK's Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter, which is committed to building a fair and balanced industry for women in the sector. She serves on the board of the International Aviation Women's Association and is a fellow of the Royal Aeronautical Society. 
Catherine also holds an honorary doctorate from Cranfield University. Sorry about that, Steve, but it has to be mentioned. Um, in November 2019, a bit closer to home, Catherine was appointed chair of the new Western Gateway, a cross-government and local authority initiative which will aim to promote and maximise economic growth across South Wales and the West of England. In uh, January 2019, Catherine was awarded a CBA, CBE for services to aerospace and aviation sector, and that followed an earlier OBE in 2004 for services to the industry and charity. Now, here's the bit you might not know. Um, singing is Catherine's passion. Uh, she'll tell you that her proudest achievement in 2019 was actually passing a grade five singing exam. And of course, she got a distinction. And just for good measure, Catherine's a member of three choirs, um, although I'm not expecting it to be sung tonight, but we never know. Try. Um, you try, okay. <laughs> uh, having worked in the US, UK, and France, and with such an impressive background, there really is no one better to give us uh, some personal observations on what internationalization means in the 21st century for global businesses. So please do join me in giving a very warm welcome to our keynote speaker, Catherine Bennett, Senior Vice President of Airbus. Well, thank you very much. Uh, one of my friends said to me on Facebook the other day, when do you sleep? Um, and actually, when you hear a list read out like that, I do, I do sometimes wonder. Uh, thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you, Steve, for inviting me to come here today. Um, I've been to UE a few times, but I've never been in a lecture theatre here in front of all of you. So uh, thank you for the honour. So when the UE team... Becca, who, wherever you are, thank you for all you're doing to look after me tonight. When the UE team asked me to come up with a, a, a title for this talk, several months ago, it's quite hard to come up with a title and you're thinking, gosh, what may have happened, you know, in between time. But little did we know, little did we know that a major medical crisis would be so critical. My thoughts are with those affected by the coronavirus, whether patients themselves, healthcare professionals, or the military men and women who are at the front line of the crisis. I was heartened to hear Mr. Liu Xiaoming, the Chinese ambassador to the UK over the weekend, praising collaboration between Chinese and UK scientists as they race to develop a vaccine. And I know Yui have a real expertise in scientific endeavours, so it's good that there's UK organisations involved. From a business perspective, the Chinese stock market fell 9.1% on opening last week. This was the worst opening market figure for 13 years. And when you balance that with the contribution Chinese manufacturing makes to the UK economy, the impact of this will be very significant around the world. Nevertheless, the ambassador also pointed out that the Chinese word for crisis also means opportunity. So let's see how it develops. This crisis demonstrates the point I wanted to make this evening. It's that global corporations need to understand and to a certain extent, play a role in geopolitical 
topics in order to thrive. I will talk a little later about the Western Gateway economic powerhouse, but one of the phrases I have used a lot in that enterprise so far is that business in many ways does not see This is why the debate over the past three years since the EU referendum here in the UK has been so, may I say it, unsettling for many people and for global business sectors such as my own. A lot of the debate has been about sovereignty and, if I may say, some of the worst tendencies of nationalism have in many ways taken the debate in a different direction. I used to play quite violent lacrosse at university and school, and there were no boundaries on the pitch. You could find yourself tackling your opponent over possession of the ball on the pitch next door. It was one of the most liberating things about school I had at the time. And my sister-in-law, who coaches the Welsh under-19 team now, tells me that sadly the rules have changed a little and they do now have boundaries. But whilst boundaries are important, of course, for country leaders, in so many ways, for businesses of today, they have no boundaries. No boundaries in employment, as our colleagues can come from a wide variety of countries, and be based in many, many different parts of the world. Last week, I was with people from the Department of International Trade and representatives from business from around the world. And we had a discussion about the USP of the UK as a reason for businesses to invest. And one of the main things we all agreed on was the diversity of our talent and the available workforce. Boundaries can otherwise stifle, stifle this diversity. So I read again over the weekend about plans for the Australian-style visa system, which the UK government are going to introduce. And Airbus and I know many other companies look forward to hearing more. But I sincerely hope, I sincerely hope, it won't prevent me hearing the multitude of languages I hear spoken when I have my tuna sandwich in the Airbus canteen down the road from here. UE itself plays a huge part in providing this international diversity. I was really, really struck by the wide international scope of students studying here when I witnessed one of my colleagues receive an honorary degree a couple of years ago. Airbus are very, very proud of the collaboration we have with UE. Just last week, the new Centre for Digital Engineering Technology and Innovation, otherwise known as DETI, based at the Science Park in Emerson's Green, which was announced last week with £5 million worth of funding from the West of England Combined Authority and matched by £5 million from the private sector, this could not have happened without the input of Dr Lisa Brodie, UE's Head of Engineering. UWE has been Airbus's partner university for over 10 years, delivering the degree programme for our engineering undergraduate apprenticeships. In the next two years, 
we will have seen over 100 apprentices complete that programme of study. And we've also recently set up a postgraduate qualification in engineering, which a number of our graduates are working on. And our apprentice programme is something that we like to talk about a lot. And when I talk to many of the apprentices, I ask them, why did you choose that route rather than university? And they do say, I don't get the student debt, I get paid, and I get great work experience. And so to go on and then get an engineering degree at a good university really helps. For any successful global corporation, internationalisation means adapting and evolving, continuing to grow and progress, even when things change. A recent Economist article talked about the rules of management being ripped up for business CEOs. It theorises that much of their power used to be in being the final decision maker in capital allocation. But now 32% of firms in the US Standard & Poor Top 500 invest more in intangible assets, which has led to 61% of value being in intangible parts of the business. Just think about this. $32 billion was spent by corporations last year on cloud services alone from a very, very <laughs> few suppliers. New materials, 5G, AI and quantum take the speed of industrial and societal change to somewhere around Mach 3, if you allow me to use an aerospace expression. Things happen very fast. With 52% of the world's population online now, there is definitely a shift in what internationalisation means. I'd like to take this opportunity of talking to you this evening to reiterate that Airbus is committed to the UK for the long run, whatever the exact nature of the future relationship between the EU and the UK. And while Airbus is very proud of our European heritage, today we employ over 130,000 people globally, with 130 nationalities and four generations represented by Airbus people. Similarly, while we have 15 sites across Europe, our international presence outside of Europe is vast, with sites in China, India and the US. And it's worth emphasising how proud we are of our British operations and how our impact on the UK extends well beyond the crown jewels of our wing design and manufacture. Other crown jewels we have here, but perhaps less well known, are our space and satellite capabilities. Airbus are the UK's largest space industry player, as well as our contribution to the defence and security of the nation through being the biggest provider of large aircraft to the RAF and being one of the notable top-level sovereign crypto providers. In this modern, connected society, it's the skills of people behind the scenes protecting us from malicious actors that are just as important as the sophisticated equipment you see on our flight lines. This diversity of our business is reflected by the fact that 70% of the business is free float 
and therefore owned by everyone from large pension providers through to retail investors and former employees even with one or two shares. Without a doubt, much of the vast success that we have achieved has been built upon this global footprint and broad investor base with an approach centred around nurturing mutually beneficial relationships with countries and businesses around the globe. Over the weekend, I caught up with a, Richard, a recent Richard Hammond TV series called Big. My husband records everything on Skybox, but I end up watching some of the things he likes to record. And this programme showed Richard boarding one of the biggest moving objects on Earth. And that was the container ship, the Marie Mesk. This ship is a quarter of a mile long and can hold enough cargo containers which, if stacked on top of each other, would reach into space. <laughs> this was revelatory to me in terms of the scale of world, tra of world trade. 90% of the world's goods are moved by container ships like that. Of course, scale alone doesn't make you a successful international business. There are no prizes for being big just for the sake of it. With scale comes responsibility. And we are acutely aware of the role that we play in helping to shape the world we live in. Internationalisation and greater interconnectivity represents great opportunity for businesses like ours, but it also means our actions and impact must be considered at both a global and a local level. Companies the world over are increasingly looking to actively contribute to the social causes science and the societies in which they exist, playing active roles in driving positive change while minimising their negative social and environmental impacts. What used to be maligned as box-ticking exercises are now absolutely central to how the best-performing businesses operate. Just last month, you may have seen the world's largest fund manager, BlackRock, committed to double the number of sustainable funds it offers. The highly influential Business Roundtable Group, a body comprising 200 CEOs of some of, the, of America's largest companies, recently stated that creating shareholder value should no longer be seen as business's primary aim. BlackRock urged companies to do more to protect the environment invest in employees, and deliver value to customers. A shift is definitely underway, and global corporations are under increased scrutiny to ensure that the initiatives they claim to be implementing are backed up by action. This is particularly evident when it comes to the environment, and it is an area where the aviation industry finds itself in the spotlight. Working with our partners, be they airlines and suppliers, through to regulators and passengers, reducing emissions is a core area of focus for Airbus, and I'm immensely proud of the work we are doing to make flying cleaner, quieter and greener than ever before, 
whilst at the same time inspiring the next generation of aeronautical engineers to bring sustainable aviation into the 21st century. Importantly, some of this vital work has been done right here in the UK, with airports, airlines and manufacturers coming together to set out a pathway to net zero emissions by 2050 through the Sustainable Aviation Decarbonisation Roadmap, which was announced just last week. Airbus are working with Rolls-Royce on the EFAN-X project, which aims to create a hybrid electric demonstration aircraft by 2021. Through technology, sustainable aviation fuels and carbon capture and offsetting, we can start to realise the ambition of sustainable flight in the future. I know that some of the finest minds in aeronautical design, materials, technology and engineering are focused on how to address the environmental challenge. To support them, we invest over €2 billion Euros a year on research and development. But if we are to succeed in meeting this challenge, we need to embrace the concept of what we call high-value design. This would revolutionise the way we think and the technologies we use to ensure the UK continues to punch above its weight on the global stage. This re-engineering of engineering, as we like to call it, would empower the next generation of engineers to meet head-on the challenges which scientists have identified. Making the most of internationalisation is also about being open to ideas, regardless of their genesis. Just think about the changes in aerospace since the days when Sir George White, who ran the trams in Bristol, decided in 1910 to build a tourist attraction at the end of his tram line by bringing some early aircraft he'd seen in France for people to see and thus created the Bristol Aircraft Company. That led, of course, to British Aerospace, parts of Rolls-Royce, and then Airbus and, of course, GKN as well. Parts of GKN. There are thousands of engineers who worked in France and in the UK on the development of Concorde, bringing with it the thermal management and anti-lock brake technology we use today. The space race that used to make government seem ambitious is now being driven by people who are more used to selling books, finance and records. And the aircraft designs that were once created by just a few engineers huddled in a room now require an international army of software designers, chemists and even biomimicry specialists like the engineers studying the kind of wings that have been showing to you on the screen to help deliver better performance with fewer emissions. Take our Albatross project, for example. Developed about a mile from here down in Filton, it is a scale model remote-controlled aeroplane with in-flight flapping wingtips that could revolutionise aircraft wing design. Innovation is and always will be the lifeblood of any forward-thinking business such as ours and the UK. Specifically the West Country, we have it in spades. And the Western Gateway is the new regional economic powerhouse for the West of England and South Wales. And as has already been mentioned kindly, I became its first chair at the beginning of November last year. And then we had a general election. 
So it was a kind of an interesting start. It's perhaps ironic that I should focus my speech today on internationalisation and then later talk about a regional economic matter. Well, in many ways, that is the point. When I was first approached about taking the role on, there were some naysayers, and there still are several, who challenged whether this additional organisation was needed. And I can see their point. There is a phrase I have heard used, the more government in the economy, the less economy in the government. For me, it is an opportunity to amplify and add weight to the already strong regional development work taking place here, whether it's the transport improvements, business support initiatives, university collaborations, or even very new projects such as the Freeport Initiative. Having an umbrella body to champion the cause in front of political decision makers and business investors is only a good thing. I was overseas recently at one of the British embassies and the official I was talking to there said that the other economic powerhouse brands had really worked when they were talking to potential investors overseas. So the Western Gateway is just the beginning of its journey. I am keen to involve businesses, large or small, in this initiative and, of course, universities and research organisations such as UWE. And I look forward to taking this forward. For me, there are no boundaries in this opportunity too. It's been a privilege to speak to you today and I'm more than happy to take some discussion and Q&A from you. Thanks very much. Okay, so um, what I'm going to try and do is cluster three questions or so in a, in a row and then Catherine can respond to those. So please, if you've got a question, put your hand up, try and make sure that I see you. Um, don't feel inhibited. Well done, Nick. <laughs> be with you in a second. Um, and just tell us your name, where you're from, uh, and then your question. So wait for the microphone as well so that we can pick up for the podcast. So I've got one Nick uh, over there has just put, put his hand up. Halfway up the, the row. Andrew's next to him. You may have a question. Yeah, I thought you might. <laughs> uh, so I wear a number of hats. Um, uh, the relevant one for me at the moment is I'm working on Cheltenham uh, Cyber Park or Cyber Central. So my, my question is, is in two bits. One is how important is the cyber uh, sector in Western Gateway? And from a political point of view, what's your view on the journey over the next few months politically with that project? Okay, Andrew, do you want to, while you're next to him? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, Andrew Lynch from the Sunday Times Business section. Uh, I'm sure my colleagues would like me to ask you about uh, the problems of um, international bribery at Airbus, but I won't do that. I will ask you, unless you want to, uh, um, I would ask you, do you think that the decision to uh, stop the expansion of uh, Bristol Airport, International Airport, it means that you guys are going to have to work a lot faster in uh, making your planes more sustainable? Okay, any, I'm going to get you to run across the other side of the room. Any, any more over this side yet? No, you're just warming up, okay. I'll go across to that side and I've got you, sir, as well. So, 
left hand, your, your right hand side now, my left. I'd like a bit of diversity uh, as well, if there are any ladies in the audience that might want to ask a question, that'd be good. Hugh James, um, North Somerset Council, on that note. Um, a question on the Western Partnership. Should we prioritise uh, green, inclusive economic growth for the Western Partnership region uh, over economic growth, that is? Okay, so we'll pause at that three fairly big, chunky questions. So, Catherine. Thank you. Um, so how important is cyber in Western Gateway? Well, as, uh, where are you, Nick? Um, as you know, cyber is a big thing for Airbus. So, um, we have a lot of people working on that in, in Newport across the, across the Seven Estuary. Um, I mean, I can't emphasise enough how important cyber is in terms of international topics. Um, I don't know about you, but, you know, attacks happen all over the place um, and we need to keep a strong eye on it. Um, I was actually at a lunch, I really don't want to name drop too much, but I was at a lunch today with Andy Burnham and he was saying that um, quite a lot of work has gone from Cheltenham, CCHQ, up to Manchester because they're good at innovation in Manchester. And I was like, excuse me, we're good at innovation down in uh, the Cheltenham area as well. So um, I know that it's a big topic that needs to be focused on and we need to ensure that we work very closely with our government partners on that. Um, it's a real specialism the UK has, and again, we don't perhaps shout about it enough. Um, the view on the journey in the next few months, well, um, uh, it was mentioned in the Queen's speech, these economic powerhouses. Um, devolution is clearly a big topic. If I may use the expression that everyone seems to be using, levelling up, um, again, is something the government is really focusing on. Some of us in business have a bit of a joke saying that... Um, we're all in the north now, um, so we have to sort of frame our, our case to government in the right way. Again, I'm, he I'm hearing some very positive noises. Um, there's real strength in ensuring that people work together to say exactly what they want. And I do believe the government, to a certain extent, is listening. Um, they, of course, appreciate the importance of the great economic powerhouse that is London, um, but if you look at some of the figures, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to improve some of the areas outside of London. Um, and, you know, I see it as my role and Steve sees a lot of government people as well. There's leaders in this area. We all need to be banging the same drum. Um, uh, Lullsgate, Bristol Airport. Um, uh, yes, I'm sitting next to a councillor actually last night who was on the planning committee who was talking to me about it. So, I mean, the most important thing for me in terms of infrastructure is um, it, businesses to thrive do need to be able to have best transport they possibly can. Um, we're very pleased that many of our airline customers use the most modern technology, the most modern planes at Bristol and at many of the other regional airports. Our A320neo aircraft, for example, is 15% fuel performance and that's the kind of um, projects that we're happy to continue working, not only with our airlines but also the, air the airports where they choose to operate. I can see absolutely that it was a difficult decision and people feel very strongly about expansions of airports um, and, you know, Airbus um, are asked a lot of questions about this worldwide. It's not just a UK issue. Um, the most important thing is to have an efficient airport that listens to its neighbourhood, listens to its customers, and I'm sure the discussions will continue uh, with the local authorities on that. 
Um, green inclusive growth, absolutely. We've just published a prospectus, the Western Gateway, um, which has gone in as part of the budget process. And very clearly, and I know Steve feels very strongly about this, we wanted to ensure that focusing on um, net zero, um, low, you know, reducing emissions absolutely has to be sort of an umbrella theme of all that we're working on here. Um, with George Ferguson here in the room, I couldn't possibly not mention, you know, Bristol was a European green capital. Um, we've got a very strong message to say in this region. Um, it wasn't, you know, they didn't just pick the name of Bristol out of a hat. We had to demonstrate, and George's team at the time had to demonstrate how much we're doing in this region on that topic. Um, and again, I see it as quite a good differentiator. But don't get me wrong, I know that all the other regions are also saying the same thing, but maybe that's a good thing. Okay, so that's the first clutch of three. I've got next one here. Uh, hi, Catherine. Uh, Mia MacDonald, uh, representing Institute of Directors here in the Southwest. Hi. Uh, first of all, thanks for a, a lovely no boundaries. Uh, hashtag brilliant speech. <laughs> Covered a lot of ground. Can I keep it simple? And I, I would say this from the IOD. Your list of board appointments is very impressive. Uh, what are your top tips for what makes a good board? <laughs> I've got James over there, just on the bottom. Hi again, Catherine. Uh, James Dury from Business West, as you know. Um, as an organisation that thinks about trying to make this part of the the UK, the best it can be is a place to, to live. Um, and from the perspective of where we are now, and with clearly the, the opportunity that you are at the centre of around things like the Western Gateway, but also in your, in your day job as well, what would you say is the one thing that we could do here now, should do here now, that uh, could realise our potential much better? There's just one thing we could do. Okay, and then I've got uh, right in the middle row, young lady there. Oh, First Lady. <laughs> Hi, Catherine. Thanks for your speech. It was really inspiring. Um, so I'm Nadia Steer. I work for GE Aviation. So historically, senior management at large engineering companies tend to have engineering backgrounds. Do you think things are changing and engineering is maybe less applicable than it used to be? Okay. Any more questions? Yep, one on the left. When you run out, I've got a whole list here. So one more on the left. Hi, Catherine. Yeah, um, Mike Bristow here from Airbus Defence and Space. <laughs> um, regarding the Western Gateway, uh, what are the organisation's aims to link with space agencies, perhaps? So maybe things such as the uh, potential space tourism in Cornwall and uh, maybe even the, UK, uh, the wider UK space agency. Thank you. Okay, that's, that's the next three, I think. Have I done three? Four, actually. Four. Oh, right, okay. I've got a list. <laughs> Thank you for all your questions, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, top tips for what makes a good board? Um, diversity, number one. Um, absolutely should be thought about. I was at a, a roundtable today with the Chancellor of the Exchequer for business leaders from the advanced manufacturing, and I was the only woman there. So they hadn't really thought about even the people attending a meeting. So sorry to bang on about that, but absolutely I'm going to keep banging on about it 
for a long time. Um, in terms of what makes a good board, you do definitely need to have a good chair. Um, you also need to have people who've got, you know, the obvious thing, the, a good subset of, of skills that, uh, that are there. And um, Steve actually did a, a talk earlier I was listening to, and he talked about the need to challenge. And I think that's absolutely key for board members. Um, I don't know if many of you have read the Sheryl Sandberg book, Lean In, but she talks a lot about meeting behaviours and etiquette. Um, one of the things I would say for being an effective contributor to a board is you do need to speak up and give your opinion and ask questions. And sometimes people are just too shy or scared. But Sheryl Sandberg often says, if you observe that somebody in a board isn't speaking up, then try in a nice cajoling way bring them out of themselves. Or if they have said something and then you feel it's not being listened to, say, well, actually, Fred made a good point earlier. So that's, again, a good, you know, people skills are absolutely key. Of course, you absolutely have to have the fundamentals of understanding a good business case um, and what uh, knowledge of the business. Um, but um, I'd get out there and get stuck in. And if people are thinking about going onto boards, you know, volunteer for a charity organisation or something and just get some experience. And I'm sure Steve would agree, there's nothing so invigorating as when somebody volunteers. <laughs> I'll take that. And that's, again, you get noticed when you, when you volunteer. That's probably why I've got too many things on my <laughs> list. Um, James, what could we do now? Um, I do see a lot of opportunities. And one of the, my problems on this is I've... I've had a great reception. I've gone to lots of different... I spent half a day in Swansea the other day with a city I didn't know very well. And there's so many opportunities and ideas. And even last night I was at a dinner your organisation put on and we were talking about the Honda site in Swindon. Now, we've got to think about that site. Um, there's obviously a task force working on it. But that is a big... You know, very sad to see Honda go... But that is a big site. It's right next door to the railway line. It's got good rail access near the M4. Um, what, are we gonna, what, what are we as a region going to do to maximise that opportunity? Um, and people in the past probably would have done that to have brought Honda there in the first place. And we need to maybe be a bit more strategic and not so siloed. So that's probably just because that's fresh in my mind, James. But also... Um, I've already had quite a lot of people contacting me from both sides of the river saying, actually, I'd like to collaborate on 5G. Uh, we need to get the ports working together, the airports maybe to a certain extent, and just see what opportunities there are. I think the university collaborations can be key, and they already do that. Um, I've spoken to my counterpart at the Midlands Engine, which is the Midlands equivalent powerhouse, and uh, they said that actually it was the university collaborations that really started to drive the success of the engine. So I'm looking forward to UE helping with that. Um, Nadia, top en is engineering the... Well, I would say actually in many respects we could do with more engineers helping run big multinational corporations. Uh, our CEO is an engineer. Uh, he really gets into the detail. Um, he's passionate um, about his topic. He knows uh, the industry inside out and asks challenging questions. And for me, who is not an engineer, very, very proud. One of the proudest moments I had was when I opened my letter from the Royal Aeronautical Society and they offered me a fellowship. And I was like, I didn't even get physics at school. You know, <laughs> I was so proud of that. I rang my family. Um, but I personally love working with engineers, which is probably why I've been at Airbus so long and, and before that in the car industry. 
Um, I think engineering is a very good um, subject matter background to have to get on in corporations because of the real thoroughness and their vision as well. I mean, I, I remember one of my first bosses at Airbus, um, Jenny would know who it is, sat down once and said, Catherine, this is the way we're going to do it. And he drew a grid. And I was like, what are you doing? I like bullet, I like fluffy things. And it was a very analytical way of working. And, you know, I really love learning from... Are you an engineer? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it is a good career to, to be in, in business. Um, Mike. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm learning more and more about the space industry every day because my background originally, obviously, was from the Airbus commercial side. Fascinating. And we've got such leadership here in the UK Certainly, of course, with a lot of the space um, research uh, work in Swindon, it's part of the Western Gateway. Um, I was talking about space today to the Chancellor of the Exchequer. I don't know if everyone knows, for £1 spent in space, you get £12 value back. So it's a good industry to talk about, very high skilled and absolutely something that I'm happy to continue working with on a regional basis. All four answered brilliantly. Thank you. I've got one more down here, one in the middle, and George over there. Still got a bank of questions here. I might pick one randomly. Oh, GKN are here. Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned GKN, yeah, but I'm really here um, on two fronts. One, I'm now a member of the board of um, ingenuity, which is what SEMTA has become around skills, and I applaud you for thinking about what we need to do about diversity, and particularly engineering. I think one of the questions that tops my mind when we're sitting in the supply chain, working with companies like yourselves, is we've come up with brilliant ideas and lots of great thoughts that we can bring into organizations like yourself. We sometimes find it difficult to bring those ideas forward and get them recognized. Um, so we want that diversity in the supply chain. We want to breed on on that diversity. So what strengths can we bring out of the Southwest, which is hugely diverse in that respect? Um, and the second question is sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just linking up with one of your pictures there. You've got a beautiful picture of a, a fuel facility yeah. in Filton. Yep. And then you talked about Swindon. I think about the hydrogen that they've got there. How do we link those two up? Thank you. Simon in the middle. And then George. Thanks very much. This question follows the previous one rather too neatly, but we didn't plan it, I promise. Simon Moore from Pennant International. Um, we um, build training devices to train the next generation of aerospace engineers um, in our factories in Cheltenham. We're only 150 people. Um, so my question, Catherine, is what advice do you have for small companies, of which there are many, obviously, in the southwest who supply the aerospace industry, in dealing with the great big companies like Airbus and the other big international businesses? And then George down on the front. Thank you very much. I suppose mine's a related question, but with an environmental uh, slant to it, as you would probably imagine. Um, how do you reconcile the need for a major global organization to grow globally? with the fact that the answer, the, you know, the principal answer to our environmental challenge, and it is a massive challenge, is to create more local circular economies. 
Okay, so let's take those three. Okay, um, how do you bring ideas into Airbus? Uh, well, we have set up something recently called the Biz Lab, which you'll probably be aware of. Um, it started actually in some of our other sites in other countries, but we're doing a lot to try and bring it in. And I know the Aerospace Technology Institute have done an amazing operation in uh, London. I've been to see it. They're sort of innovation, what do you call them? Accelerator, they call it, yeah. Um, which, again, is a good place to, to start discussions. I do appreciate that sometimes Airbus can seem a bit gargantuan, which maybe goes back to George's question, um, who do you approach? Well, actually, we are all human beings. There are ways of, of speaking to us. Um, you know, we, we do operate on a very global basis, so our programmes are huge and run on a global basis. Um, I mean, I, maybe I should just say speak to us, speak to Airbus people, and we'll do our best to, to signpost you, and I know, I know you do. Um, but, you know, it's for those of us based here in the UK, and if I may say for people in other, what we call our home nations, they do care passionately about supporting local businesses, and uh, we're always looking to, to, to use more local businesses in everything we do. Um, talking about fuels, absolutely, I didn't mention fuel systems. Some of my Airbus colleagues in Filton would say, you never mention fuel, Catherine. It is a real specialism that we do, fuel, fuel testing. Um, and I think hydrogen and the opportunities around hydrogen are absolutely going to be something that uh, Airbus is going to be looking at in the future, as along with other forms of sustainable fuel. Um, and I know other parts of the UK are investing in hydrogen hugely, so let's make sure our region isn't left behind. Um, Simon, advice for small companies. Again, um, you know, we do need to perhaps be a bit more open. It's not always clear who people should speak to, whether it's on the training side or just general procurement. See, our procurement team here in the UK just procure parts of the aircraft and they're not responsible for the whole thing. So there may be a whole access issue about um, getting more knowledge and who to speak to in the right in, in, in Airbus. And I can understand it can be confusing. Again, we'll do our best to try and signpost you with your particular questions. Um, George, always give me a tough question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting how Airbus was started. Uh, we're a conglomeration of what was state-owned companies, apart from here in the UK, where it was British Aerospace who specialised in wings. So obviously they were, f were created over 50 years ago now to, to take on the uh, people in the US. And, uh, you know, they took the best of each, each state-owned aerospace company and created it, which did mean that we are sort of split out by the different parts of the aircraft. So we in the UK design and build the wings. Um, the Germans do the fuselage. Uh, French, French do the systems and a lot of the final assembly. So in many ways, if you and I were to sit down and say, let's build an aircraft company, you might not do it the way Airbus is set up because it does mean that people have to move, parts have to move. Um, we've got sites in India because there's great engineering excellence in India. We've got sites in China. Um, obviously, the Chinese market, very important. The same with our US sites. So sometimes you do have to put investment in those countries if you want to make sales. So it, it sometimes does follow the money, I'm afraid. But how does that help your question on bringing that more local? Well, I tell you, my job here is to fight to bring more investment here locally. And, you know, I've tried to persuade government and other organisations to take regulation out of the way and burdens out of the way so that we can persuade my head office to invest more in this country. And I think that's the only way 
to ensure that we keep those skills. I talked about high value design, can't emphasise enough. We need to retain our engineering talent here in this country and UE does a lot to help with that. Okay, any other burning questions? Oops, sorry, Steve. That's a bad one. That podcast is not going to like that. <laughs> um, Steve, Steve Taylor, and that'll be the last. And one at the top, I think was one at the top. Yep, yeah, great, fantastic. We'll finish with you. Thank you. Hi, Catherine. Um, I'm Steve Taylor. I'm the chief executive of the Cabot Learning Federation. We have a number of schools in the local area. Um, the uh, point was made earlier this evening by Steve, and it's often spoken about, about how this part of the world is such an attractive place to come mm -hmm. and live, um, to work, to study, to research, and many of us have taken advantage of that. Um, I suppose I'm interested in the people who are from here, and if you've got a sense from your perspective what the Western Gateway can offer to the communities of this part of the world, particularly uh, our poorer communities. There's a lady right at the back. Hi, I'm Audrey from UE Bristol. I work here. Uh, my question is... So you have the first-hand experience of being international and what, what it means uh, having lived in the US, in Toulouse, and now here. Um, so my question is, what were your biggest challenges, if any? So many different countries, and if actually your biggest challenge is was to relocate here in England. Um, Cabot Learning, yeah, I know a lot about your organisation. Well, I don't know enough about your organisation. I've heard heard about it, and um, well done for what you do. Um, what can Western Gateway offer? I mean, absolutely, the social topics are key. Um, if I may just refer to Andy Burnham again at lunch, because he was talking about his campaign to reduce homelessness in Manchester. So he was elected in 2017, and they counted there were 300 homeless people on the street in Manchester. And he, what he did in his, all the other mayors, it's not just him, they asked businesses, other organisations and charitable groups to actually all get together and work out how to... Because homelessness is just not just the council's problem, it's everyone's problem. And he was really proud that it's reduced down to about 150, he said now. And it made me think, you know, there are, of course, some areas of social deprivation all around our region. Um, and I know there's people, certainly at my company, who feel deeply about social impacts. And many of us volunteer locally in our communities and do our bit. But actually, maybe there is a bit more of a, a calling out that needs to be done to get businesses to help a bit more. The Western Gateway at the moment is focusing on the big business topics, attracting businesses here. But of course, if you get businesses to invest, then you hope you bring more economic generation and, and jobs, which can only help. And of course, the other thing is, is getting the right skills, which is where people like yourselves, organisation are key. But um, yeah, I think there's an important thing. And, you know, as I try to say in my talk, we need to get these things right. And people care about these things. New, younger people coming into our companies the number one question they ask us is what's your social impact in the community in which you operate so it's good to be challenged like that 
biggest challenges? Well, I could say not having the right plugs when I travel to Toulouse, but of course it's much easier now. Um, so, uh, yes, I worked in the US. I wasn't there for a huge amount of time, only about half a year, but I worked in Detroit, which is quite a challenging city in itself. I felt like a tiny little minnow there. And uh, they used to say, so, Catherine, what does Europe think? And I go, like, I'm from a little island off the coast of Europe. I can't speak on the hot half of my whole continent, which is quite funny now. We're not part of the European Union anymore. <laughs> um, challenges. I don't know. I'm quite a people person. I love meeting new people. I love learning about different cultures. Be respectful. You know, if an American arranges a meeting, you are there on time. You are not late. Whereas maybe there's a slightly different uh, timekeeping in some other, other countries I've worked in. Um, and the language can be a challenge. Um, I always encourage my Airbus colleagues to, to learn two or three languages. It really puts us Brits to shame when you're working over in Toulouse because they all speak amazing English. Um, so that can be another thing. But another nice story for you, which actually relates to a Bristol school, is a lot of our graduates on our graduate scheme, and I think there are some in the room actually, and some of our interns, they spend a lot of time going into Bristol schools and te uh, reading with them and talking to them about engineering as a career. And one of the most lovely stories I heard was a French female engineer actually went into a school and uh, we had amazing feedback from her head, the head teacher of that school because the kids were all then intrigued, not only about what she was talking about, the engineering, but about her being French. So it just brought the whole intercultural um, discussion going, which probably we were Airbus when we thought, let's send an engineer into school. We didn't think of that. And again, that's the richness that I think international companies can bring. Thank you very much. I'm very conscious of time and um, your desire probably to refuel um, through green, e green energy, I suspect, is what we're going to give you. Um, locally sourced and very um, uh, delicious. So please join me in saying a very big thank you. I've got colleagues in the audience here who know what's coming. Um, big thank you to Catherine for navigating our way through some... I guess the future, but also some tricky bits that we're going to have to solve how we actually move forward uh, as one. So please join me in thanking Catherine. Thank you very much. So colleagues, all it I think uh, remains for me to do is to uh, encourage you to Come and join us for some light refreshments. Um, carry on the conversations. There are some very tricky things that we're going to have to navigate, uh, that balance between our green economies. There are some great opportunities. I see we've got Bristol Port in. There's some, some opportunities around Freeport. Wouldn't it be great if we all got together and made that happen down here? So I'm sure David is going to make sure that the LEP, the Combined Authority, the Western Gateway, and anyone else that wants to get involved focuses on making sure we, as a place, really succeed. And I know that's at everybody's heart, really, for that to happen. So thank you very much, and please join us for some light refreshments. If you're going, safe journeys, and hope to see you uh, in a few weeks' time at our next um, Distinguished Address. Thank you very much. For more information on the Bristol Lecture Series, including details on how you can attend, visit uwe.ac.uk forward slash Bristol Lectures.